from the Mirror Zone. I'm Bryce Skidmore. And I'm David Leskin. And uh, we're here to talk about uh, some more science fiction. Doing part two of our Japanese science fiction. We're reading from the best Japanese science fiction stories edited by John L. Apostolou and Martin H. Greenberg. Mm -hmm. Good stuff, good stuff. What was it? Today we're doing uh, Tensei Kono's uh, Triceratops, translated by David Lewis. And uh, was it just, and before we get into it, uh, it's good to be back. It's very good to be back. I can feel my vocal cords adjusting to send out all these good vibes. Now, after like after a crazy couple months of just like broken computers, missed deadlines, and like like I got a book coming out pretty soon, which is going to be fun. So uh, I'll probably drop that later. The the gardener in the pit uh, coming forward or coming to an Amazon near you. I'm pretty excited about this, and uh, we'll definitely drop a notification once that's available. Tells yeah. Um, but yeah, um, so to the task at hand. Yes. Uh, is it this is our first uh, um, our first uh, Tensei Kono story? It might be one of our only Tensei Kono stories, considering what we were able to actually find in terms of English translation, right? Yeah. No, he's um, apparently this is the the most translated work that he's had in English. Um, which is a really good story. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it too, and uh, I have actually we both read this a few times now, and uh, it, there's just so much more to discover about it each time. So we're really excited to be sharing this. Yeah, uh, just a little bit on the author, and I do mean just a very little bit. It's a little bit. It's just a tiny bit. Um, according to Wikipedia, Tensei Kono was born on uh, January 27th of 1935. And he died on January 29th, 2012. He was a Japanese science fiction writer, and among other works, he has written Triceratops. Nothing in uh, most English uh, English sources will tell us if he's written anything else. Nope, and it, we did pretty thorough searches. It's like seven, eight pages in, you're like, okay, so it's the same copy and pasted information over and over again. Yeah, it's it's really depressing. So if anyone else out there wants to like get on telling us who uh, Tensei Kono is, like, I'd be super down. Yeah, please add us. Um, was it one of his stories that he wrote did become a film? Uh, in 1964, uh, his story was adapted into a film called Black Sun, uh, which is about uh, an American uh, military officer who's uh, hiding out in Japan and he, he, uh, he uh, I guess, befriends a young Japanese boy and who's, like, really into jazz. And it's about their sort of lost-in-translation humor and, uh, and, and post-war racism in Japan. And we actually watched uh, a portion of this film on a uh, YouTube clip, and we also watched the trailer as well. And we're looking forward in a future episode, maybe a mini-episode, to discussing the film a little bit. Yeah, I would really love to. I Just the bits that we saw were, looked really good. Yeah, I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, so yeah, that's our guy. Um, is it, do you want to uh, do you want to do plot synopsis or should I? Yeah, I'll do plot synopsis, sure. Um, Triceratops <clears throat> is the story of a father and son who begin to notice a Triceratops walking across the street. They head home and tell their mother and wife about this to very little belief 
and as they continue to bike and search the area around them, they realize that there's some sort of leak in time that's allowing them to view not just one Triceratops, but a whole herd of them mm. that regularly live in the area, sleep in their house and garage. They don't interact with the Triceratops, but they can see and even smell it sometimes. Yeah. And, and sort of the whole story is them, the father and son, you know, growing together through the shared experience that they have and seeing what happens to the Triceratops. Mm. Yeah, no, just like... Uh like the kind of bonding that only comes when you like share an experience with one other person that no one else can. It's very, it reminds me a lot of what I like about a lot of Stephen King books where you have this supernatural element that unites two people and that that's the narrative lens of the story. And I think it's, it's really successful in this one. No, actually that's, I I hadn't even considered while reading it, but that's like a really great like example of just like sort of the heartfeltness that the story creates. Yeah, there's genuine heart to a lot of this story. I mean, you will believe a Triceratops can die. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But but seriously, there's a lot of points where I felt very connected to both the main characters and the dinosaurs that we were seeing. Yeah. Yeah, uh, But it it doesn't all go well, though, does it? It does not. Uh, Eventually, this group of herbivores is set upon by a hunting pack of Tyrannosaurus rex that wipes them out and i mean it's it's pretty bad on both sides the triceratops definitely get away from some of them at least are managed to hobble away but it's a slaughter yeah and the dad and the son are pretty much the only witnesses to this everyone else on the streets around them either Mm -hmm. through on purpose or because they're unable to or want to see what's happening they don't witness the bloodshed so they're basically like the only viewers of this murder well, and it's actually, it's interesting, too, that you bring up Stephen King, because it kind of, like, that last scene kind of reminds me of the scene from It. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, was it, so, and then the end of this story, like, uh, there's that, that huge fight, the Tyrannosaurus come down, and they kill a whole herd of the Triceratops, and just blood gets everywhere. And there's a description of a woman who's walking through it, and, like, doesn't see that around her, but, like, has some of it splashed on her clothes, and it's like, it's that thing like where, like, you know, it comes to attack Bev and the whole bathroom's covered in blood, but like dad doesn't see it because exactly. the town is like blinded to it. Yeah. And this, this definitely channels that same sort of idea that these two people are the sole viewers of what's transpiring and understand truly what's happening. So, yeah. Now there's a, a story. Shall we, uh, do you want to do some analysis? You want to get into quotes? Uh, let's start with some quotes. I'm down. Yeah, did you have one you wanted to do? A funny thing happened on the way home. A dinosaur crossed our path. It was a day when yellow sand blown from the continent filled the air and turned the sun the color of blood. A harsh, unpleasant day. Nice. Yeah. I I mean, a lot of this story has that sort of feel to it. It's like the idea of something blowing in, a change. Something that changes everything. And, and, you know, it's part of what starts this magical story, the idea. The father and the son, they see a dinosaur cross their path. And uh, it opens their eyes and their minds to the point that uh, they start seeing these dinosaurs everywhere. Yeah. No, it's like, I I love that idea of just like, you know, just the day being harsh and unpleasant. Yeah. Uh, No, and it's uh, like, you know, because of obviously what's to come, not, not like what what is in that moment because like initially it's just shock like 
but it's like also the uh, the nonchalantness with which it's thrown out. Uh, just on, a funny thing happened on the way home. A dinosaur crossed our path. Right, and I mean it, it sums up a lot of the themes in this story: the idea of the mundane and the and the magic happening one along the side of each other, neither one given preference. Yeah, no, and it's like, and I think that it is because it works out in the mechanics of the of how they're seeing them already. But it's like that's like a perfect way to attack this story. Right. After they see the Triceratops, they've quite obviously seen the Triceratops, and then Dad's trying to like sort of reason their way out of that. Uh, it says, "Well, it hardly matters. There was a little earthquake, and then that thing went zipping by. So." We got a good shock out of it. Maybe the shadows threw us off. Maybe it looked bigger than it was. All that's really certain is that it wasn't a dog or a pig or some animal like that, but a really big rascal, right? Like, which I love that where it's like, it was obviously a triceratops, but like, he's just trying to be like, well, it wasn't that. It was something. <laughs> right. Maybe it was a rhino that was loose, but if a rhino was loose, it would already be on the news. Well, maybe they haven't put it on the news yet. <laughs> And it's just, it is such a funny little back and forth where they're just arguing over whether or not they just saw a dinosaur, but not even really arguing. <laughs> they both know they saw a dinosaur. They're just trying to figure out how to deal with it. It was on one of those days, yet another Sunday evening, when they had gone cycling about the neighborhood, though not as far as on the day they first met Triceratops. After passing through the copse on the top of the hill and coming out above their subdivision, the father and son came to a stop, finding themselves speechless and unable to move. A triceratops huddled superimposed over every house in the town, their skin brilliant green beneath the mercury lamps gently rising and falling with their breathing. Occasionally one would open its eyes in a narrow slit, and every time the lids raised, the pupils would glitter in a brilliant rose, perhaps because of rotospin pigment like that found in some species of crocodile. It was a scene of phantasmal beauty like the winking of giant fireflies. That was so cool. I really like this quote, and if you want to pair this one with another one so we can kind of drive it home, do you want to do the one about um, the explanation over why they're seeing these things? I would. Um, it's a triceratops. Isn't that right, Dad? Triceratops? It means three-horned dinosaur. The nose nose horn and two on its forehead. That makes three, right? Then it's a triceratops. Triceratops, living and fighting and fighting again in an endless struggle for survival in the late Cretaceous, Mesozoic world 70 million years before, domain of history's most savage beast, the carnivorous monster Tyrannosaurus rex. Triceratops, Triceratops, that massive herbivore, possessing the most powerful armament of any animal ever known. Triceratops, that Triceratops, was even now walking leisurely down the road right before their eyes. It is really good world building for the story. It is, and it's like, and then it's uh, in terms of the explanation for how that stuff got there. Uh, I've read about, and is the sun talking? I've read about dimensional faults and stuff like that. The sun said, "Hmm, but those are all just theories." Theories? When you say something that you that you can't prove might be this way or that, that's a theory. So there aren't any dimensional faults. Well, someone just thought them up. They might really exist, and they might not. If you figure they exist, then the surface of this wall must be right about the fault line, between our world and the world of the Triceratops 70 million years ago. But really, you can try explaining it just about any way you please. For instance, for instance, you could think that our world and the Triceratops world exist simultaneously, instead of 
popping in and out of the fault line every now and then, we're really both here all the time, with just a bit of lag in between. That would explain why we can somehow look through into their into that other world, and they can't look through onto us. It'd be just that fine a difference. I love that quote. Um, it, you've already got this great setup where, I mean, you could imagine this in a lot of other stories, kid and dad see dinosaur, and there's really no explanation for it. It's just been, you know, fantastic wonder. But from this, you get the explanation from the characters within the universe. Yeah. And, boy, what a concept. All of time is simultaneous. In the middle of this little kid's story, uh, it's... I, I, I really love the concept. It's a great yeah. sci-fi concept. No, I love it. And it's like it speaks to me on these two levels, where it's like, on the one level, there's this aspect of uh, complete coexistence, which I always find interesting. Like, in science fiction, approaches coexistence in very fun ways. But, like, in this particular one, where it's like, these two things existing in the same space, but 70 million years apart. Right. And it's like, just to have that awareness, like, of your space and its history, like, it's very profound and I think can be very subversive. It's, it's, it is very subversive and I think that, uh, I mean, what's a child to think when they're kind of going through all this? It's, it's wonderful that he has the dad to kind of give him each other, for both Mm -hmm. of them to be able to give this sort of perspective and how they're perceiving it Mm -hmm. and be able to experience it together. Yeah. No, and it's like, and it, yeah, no, they, and they can experience and they learn together. And it's, I love that. And they, and I love that too, where it's like the, uh, it's, it's also, that, that quote is also wonderful to me because it's, it's sort of a weird science fiction writer's nudge where it's like, don't fucking question it too hard. There are dinosaurs here. Maybe it's like, this and maybe it's that, but the end result is whatever you think it is, dinosaurs are here. Exactly. And it's and I think what's even more interesting is like and the end result is that's not you know, the important thing isn't how we did it. The important thing is how are we going to deal with this. Right. And that's like, what the book deals with, the story. Uh yeah, no, I also love that uh like as they're like as they go on, like sort of just going out and like experiencing life around these things. Uh, the mom's constantly just like, oh, there's something weird that you two are up to, and they're just both like, oh, it's nothing. Can I read a quote that, that ties along with that? The one about uh, why other people are not seeing or believing what they see? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So they can, so can they see it too, just like us? Maybe, but you know how people's heads are. We try to deny things that we think are impossible. It's a kind of protective instinct. So even if we somehow do see it or feel it, we usually just shut it out automatically, choose not to see it, not to do it. If we see it again two, three times maybe, common sense comes to the rescue and we laugh it off. Nerves, boy, what a crazy idea. And that's the end of it. And if it still doesn't stop, then people stop accepting you. You can't live a productive social life anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and they get a little bit of that with with their mom, who's the only person they tell about it, because, you know, just from her reaction alone, I think they know they really can't share this with anybody else. No, it's, yeah, it's very much, like, this is a secret that they both have to keep, and it's like, even in the darker level of it's like, they won't be understood, like, people will think you're crazy. Um, And it's a thing that's fucked up, because it's like, they're not, they're not crazy, they just see more. Right, whatever, whatever people think of them, those dinosaurs do exist alongside, maybe not in time, but in place. And all that really matters is the two people who acknowledge it. Yeah. In the story, at any rate. The father and son often saw dinosaurs after that, 
Sometimes, glancing up at the sunset, they'd see the shadow of a huge-winged creature like a pteranodon weaving across the sky. But the only earth-hugging dinosaurs they saw were triceratopses. Apparently, the local habitat was best suited to triceratopses. The best... Uh, the, beast the beast asleep in the garage, its head so perfectly aligned with the family car that it seemed a strange horned automobile was snoring humorously away, the huge dinosaur passing over the head of a small child crying fretfully by the roadside. All these apparitions were triceratopses. I, I really wish this story had been adapted into a movie or a TV show. This would yeah. be a delight to see, wouldn't it? I, it really would, and it's like it's funny to me because it's like usually people like fleeing dinosaurs, but the thing that would be hilarious about this is just like just watching them just like walk around a child throwing a fit, and it's like not about a dinosaur. Yep. Yeah, and you know, meanwhile, a dinosaur sleeping in their garage. There's also that one joke that was in here where it's like I'm not going to quote it exactly, but I love it where it's like they. The, the father and son realize that they have to sort of, like, keep it under wraps that they're seeing dinosaurs, but, like, you know, and the dad would be like, go to your room, and he's like, I can't, and Triceratops' butt's in there. I guess you'll just have to live with it. Yeah, it's like, dude, whatever, and it's like, but that's the one thing that we get from this weird metaphysical crossover is that the smells don't go away. No, so. no, they don't. <laughs> I, I, I gotta lie, I'm not gonna lie, I would probably want to switch rooms, too, if I was smelling dinosaur, but... Yeah, that's that sounds horrible. The logistics of this are really great that they go into. <laughs> no, it's like it, it really is like a wonderfully built little reality that it's like, you know, I I wasn't a fan of the last uh, Jurassic Park or Jurassic World film. This already sounds like a better idea for Jurassic World. Easily, like I mean, you know, the the threat in Jurassic Park over and over is like life's find, gonna find a way, and when it finds a way, it's just gonna like come and eat kids and stuff. That's pretty much what all we're getting. You know, over and over again, and and this story kind of likes to imagine this cohabitation, which is a lot more interesting and, and fun. Yeah, no, and I would I would rather like that's kind of the Jurassic hashtag my Jurassic World is just right. My Jurassic World is uh, Dinotopia. Oh fuck yeah! I haven't thought about Dinotopia in forever. But it's been yes. a while, <laughs> but this definitely evokes a lot of the same feelings as Dinotopia. I think that really had such great art in it. Some of the best art. I, I, I miss. I need to go back and read Dinotopia again. Okay, so um, we already showed that uh, throughout the town now, the dad and the son are seeing Triceratops everywhere. And we've basically found out that the Triceratops were following the water, but they were not the only dinosaurs following the water. Yeah. They were also Tyrannosaurus rex following them. And uh, that's where my quote starts. The fighting lasted throughout the night. Even at the height of the raucous laughter of a televised singing contest, the father and son could hear the war cries, could feel the thick hide splitting, the shrieks of the hour of death. By morning, the combat had almost ended, and the countless corpses of Triceratops and Tyrannosaurus, some still barely twitching the tips of their tails, some dragging the ripped tatters of their stomachs, lay tumbled across the landscape. Almost without exception, the corpses of Triceratops had their entrails dug out, their ribs laid bare, and their neck shields chopped into ribbons. But most of the Tyrannosauruses showed only deep puncture wounds in their necks and bellies, escaping utter destruction. There were even a few scattered survivors, but none had escaped unscathed. All had lost the energy to keep on fighting. This quote comes as we've been sort of coasting along on this fantasy of this whole story, mm -hmm. and 
we'll get a little bit more into this in analysis, but the reason I love this quote so much is up until now, we've sort of been dealing with this fun father and son coming of age story. Yeah. And the coming of age part hadn't really come yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is, uh, this is the corpse found in, uh, to go back to Stephen King, Stand By Me. Yeah. This is kind of the inciting event that I would assume makes the son grow up and kind of changes his worldview a little bit, but it also shows us, the readers, the consequence of having this sight to be able to see the dinosaur's time. Mm-hmm. It's not all herbivores. It's also a struggle for survival. Yeah. And they witness the murder of all of these, you know, what they'd consider to start becoming at least a landscape, if not more important to them than that. Yeah. It's really very arresting. No, and there's there's an aspect of it too that's like um, that really like jumped out at me. And we were talking about this earlier, where it was like, I uh, like I, I read this and I was like, I don't I don't see really the war in this very much. Like you know, and I thought you know maybe this is like one of those one of those stories that I could like not relate to the war. But there was this one part of it where it was that even at the height of the ruckus lap, or even at the height of the ruckus laughter of a televised singing contest. The father and the son could hear the war cries, could feel the thick hide splitting, and the shrieks of the hour of death. So, like, this thing where it's like, we could sit at home and watch TV, but there's a war outside. Right. And, and, then, it's, and they have to be quiet about it. Like, and we talked about this a little before starting the podcast, but, um, you know, it brings in this idea of, if we're talking about Japanese stories that take place, this is 1974, particularly, mm-hmm. You're talking about the effects of the war and Western influence and how citizens perceive that. And, I mean, you know, this is a pretty good metaphor for that is, you know, the destruction was underneath the whole time. The war was raging, but they just, they couldn't see it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just behind this really, behind this veil that that only a few people could look through. Right, and and you definitely, it, it makes you think a lot how... I'm sure this dad and son are probably never going to be watching these programs that they talk about again. They're always going to be out in the world looking for things that no one else can see. They can't unsee this. Yeah. They're never no, going to yeah. be distracted again, and they're never going to want to be. No, totally. And actually, was it? do you mind if I jump on just a little bit after that? Do it. Um, was it? This is uh, below him sprawled the body of one of, his, one of his comrades, a gaping hole horned through his neck, its body clotted with dried blood. While no more than five meters away, a triceratops grazed slightly, uh, silently on the grass, blood still dripping from one of its eyes. Every now and then the Tyrannosaurus would raise its head and glare, though perhaps this was only their fancy, balefully, at the grazing triceratops. If you eat that crud, why'd you kill us? The father and son almost felt that they could hear that voice. If there's too much to eat, why did you keep on butchering us? The Triceratops's unbloodied eye seemed to ask that back. I love that quote, and and definitely I'm seeing more over, uh, more overarching themes about war. Like if you take away Tyrannosaurus and Triceratops and you replace that with soldiers, mm-hmm. it fits pretty well. No, it's like, and I love that too, where it's like this this thing where they, these two animals locked in this mortal combat that kill each other, and one asks like, "You don't even need meat. Why did you kill us?" And it's like you already ate, why were you butchering us? Like, this, the unanswerable questions of violence. Yeah, and of course those questions come in the aftermath of the battle with the blood everywhere. They don't ask those questions before going into that, do they? No. 
And this is, and of course, the only people who got to deal with it were the the ones who looked on, because uh, immediately after they they sort of go in the minds of the Triceratops and T Rex as they're dying. Uh, this quote: "The father and son watched as they walked slowly to the station. The corpses that weren't dripping were at least tolerable, but even they were brought up. Sh- but even they were brought up short, where the large intestines of a Tyrannosaurus lay heaped across the road, as if they had sprung." writhing from the animal's torn open belly after a moment's pause they edged on by they edged on by the the side of the street a woman in fashionable white socks passed through a blood-smeared landscape her shoes clicking loudly her eyes suspicious watching father and son a microbus filled with kindergartners passed through that landscape bearing its load of lively chatter an elementary school student passed through that landscape singing a jingle skylark dancing to the sky God is reigning in the sky. The world, the world's a trifle. Oh, great way to end this story. Yeah, and it's I I love that visual though, where it's like the this woman who's like wearing the white, and it's like it gets stained, but like uh, father and son, like they're trying to like keep away, like they edge up on a sidewalk against a wall to try and like not step in the entrails. Right. And everyone's just looking at them like they're crazy. Right. Like this woman is like. I, I this is why I also kind of wish that this had been adapted visually, but even so, without that, the the descriptions of the, the story are really good. You're just seeing this woman uh, as they're trying to avoid the viscera, and she's all in white. It should be easily ruined by the gore around her. She's just walking right through it like it's nothing. Yeah. And a bunch of kindergartners too. They're right there, mm-hmm. and they're they're happy. They're singing their tunes, and they're all oblivious to the horror. Yeah, no, and it's like, I love that, like, the, the last line of the story is that, like, one of the children saying, uh, the world, the world's a trifle. It's like, it's not, the world is nothing. Life is but a dream. Yeah. No, and that's, a uh, that's what we got for, uh, Tensei Kono's, uh, Triceratops. Do you want to do a little analysis? I would love to. Uh, was it, what were you thinking? Uh, I mean, what, I... What strikes you? I definitely wanted to go into, we touched on this a little bit before, but... What are the themes of this story? You know what I mean? And we we definitely discussed, like, being open to the reality of a situation also opens mm-hmm. you up to the beauty and the horror of it. Yeah. It's it's not something that you can close up, and, and with that you come with the knowledge of, of learning about loss. And I think this story did a really good job of, of at least from that angle, of the uh, coming-of-age story angle. Yeah, um, and it's I think it was, and it's like the one thing that complicates it a little that I actually super enjoy is that I feel like it's a both the father and son coming of age. Yes, where it's like you know it's still not too late for dad to like get a little whimsy, like which and I think that's interesting because if this movie was made in America, and in fact this movie has been made in America in some sense, where a child sees a dinosaur, sure, and the adults don't believe them because you know they're oh it's their their innocent child minds that can do this, but it's like no dad can see it too. Right, like, and, 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 and you know, the reason he can see it is because in some sense I think they were both bonding. I think that, that's my opinion anyway, is that their bond is what allowed them to both see that. And um, the story makes it clear that in the beginning of the story they're coming from very different places. The dad is a little bit more tired than the son. He's, he thinks he knows everything about life that the son doesn't know yet. Mm-hmm. And the son, in his own way sort of thinks the same thing, that he knows everything, that the world makes sense to him, that he knows what's coming. And they do both have a coming-of-age moment. 
which kind of goes to tell you about like you're never too old to learn. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I I think that it's all very tied into that the idea that they both have this realization at the same time that brings them closer and as it brings them closer it also opens both of their eyes more yeah no i think it's i think you're right it really does sort of amount to a father and a son actually seeing the world on the same page um there's there's a part of it that like this is going to sound horrible but it's like i'm just wondering now that the the horrible downside of this the second sight is visible it's like does if the story were to continue, would you just keep seeing like primordial things rip each other apart? I that's what I've got to imagine. I've got to imagine that if they, if we continued on with the story, that each one would be something like they witness other historical atrocities or or just life going on, not even good or bad necessarily, but just different periods in time. And they, I don't think they can close themselves off to it anymore. I think that they would keep seeing this stuff. Yeah. No, I think you're right too, because it's like they did not they did keep seeing it and they did like inch around it. Like even in the moment I feel like if there was a moment where it's like they would stop seeing it forever, it should have been that one, but they actually kept seeing it, so Right. And and, and it fits more I think since they both agreed with what they were each talking about about the idea of well, you can go back to watching your shows and you can pretend none of this ever happened and eventually your brain will make it so that you won't see it anymore. And that would have been the moment that they should have stopped seeing it if they were ever going to. I don't think that they can. And I think that that's a metaphor for something. Mm-hmm. No, I think I think you're right. So is there anything that uh, the story would make you meditate upon? Yeah, I still am not entirely sure whether this is a story about westernization and leaving old Japan behind and accepting new Japan. I, I'm, I've been struggling with this the entire time we've been trying to read it. I go back and forth. Sometimes I think it is, and sometimes I think it isn't. And I mean, we'd be silly to not take those things into account considering where and when this was written. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to just be injecting this was about the bomb and the war into every single thing. So, yeah. I mean, what were your views on it? Do you think that parts of that matched up? Well, no, I think parts of it did. And actually, that's um, what's interesting to me is it's almost like... Uh, I mean, it's almost like this curveball that um, really weirdly Jurassic Park also throws you. When you bring in something like dinosaurs, it's like kind of an intense beat towards a form of nostalgia. But it's almost like ultimate nostalgia because you're nostalgic for a time that you weren't there. Right. You're fantasizing a lost world um, that's going to give you some kind of like, you know, like juvenile kick or like some kind of right. some some like some some form of childlike awe and wonderment that like these creatures are supposed to bestow and they do that initially um but then the nostalgia bomb rips it apart because it's like you've already you already have this tear in reality where you're seeing the sweet and then you have to see the not so sweet i like and, that and i think that there is an aspect where it's like where if it is verse of uh of old japan versus modernized and industrialized Japan, I think that it almost would be like, it would almost be tearing that dichotomy apart because it's like even to be looking back on the past as a form of this like nostalgia that lets a T-Rex through. Yeah, I mean, you know, who knows what else you're going to let through uh, when you try and get to that lost world Mm. because it is an idealized version of something that never really existed or that you were never necessarily really a part of. No, and even, and it's like, I love the, the, and I don't, I would love to like learn more about Japanese to know if that, that word was translated specifically well, but the, uh, 
um, superimposed is a word that gets used, I think, more than once. And it's like the thing that makes this version of reality so beautiful and so like wonderful is that is that the objects in it are hollow to each other. That, that a dinosaur could look as though it's sleeping in your garage because that's where it happened to be sitting 65 million years ago. Right, and it allows us as the readers to form a bond with both these characters that never existed and these animals mm-hmm. that we've never met and make them both feel more real to us in the same way that they were feeling about the Triceratops. Yeah. Now, is it, there's, um, there's an aspect of this. It's probably the thing that I'm going to be meditating on the most is... It's really weird, this this relationship between father and son, and it's like you brought this up where it's like, they're, every so often they each have to know more than the other. Like, But the thing that I like the most is in the end, it's they both learn the same thing simultaneously. Like, it, it becomes a learning experience, and it's I think I could look to have that in my own life, where it's like, I could, I don't have to know everything. Like, I can stop trying, or like other people could stop trying to do that, and we can just like work together, and like, figure shit out together, because I, I feel like we can argue about, like, people can argue about politics all we want, but, like, until we start doing a weird, okay, there's a triceratops loose in the town, we can both agree we're seeing that, right? And then let's work from there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really like that, too, this idea of enhance, of, like, the knowing. Yeah. Uh, it's not so much that anybody knows anything more than anybody else, it's that mm-hmm. their knowing is different. Yeah. And you can figure shit out together, and I think that there is a camaraderie based on this, like, that there there is sort of, like, a unification that happens when two people can look unequivocally at the same thing and understand that they both saw it. Yeah, and and not just know that they both saw it, but acknowledge that to each other. Yeah. And build something from that. And it's, and it's a strength, and, it, and I, would, I would actually think that regardless of how this story, how bloody this story ended, that I feel like this, this father-son are probably going to have an amazing relationship later in life. I'm really hopeful about both of them. I think that in the same way that a lot of, like, we were talking before about how kids will see ghosts or dinosaurs in other movies or TV shows and no one will believe them because they're the adults. And, you know, this doesn't take the easy way out and do that. Um, I think, like, the dad being, both of them being forced to acknowledge that they're seeing the same thing sort of, it creates an extra reality, mm-hmm. and we're we're kind of given a glimpse into that. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you wanted to talk about or cover that came up for you while reading this? Not really, off the top of my head. I. I think we did a pretty good job of covering it. I think we did. It's weird. This is turning into our shortest episode. Well, I mean, it, you know, to it's be fair, these are short stories. They are I very think, short stories. I think the story really accomplished what it set out to do, which is. You know, this idea of forcing the reader to grow by seeing how the characters inside of it grow. I mean, that's really all, if you're boiling it down, that's what happened in this book, is we saw some people see something. If you're really cutting it down and condensing it. But it's more the human relationships in the heart of the story that was what was so interesting. Yeah, that's true, because, like, nothing really in in their realm happens. They just have a developing relationship. Right, And, and those dinosaurs died... A long time ago. Yeah. None of none of this is new to there's, either there, of them. And actually, and that's the thing that's even worse is that, like, you know, to see these things as perpetual echoes, that there's no saving them. Right. It's it. You know, it's the same way as these short story characters. You know what I mean? Like you said, I'm sure they're going to have a great life together, but all we get to see is what's played out in this story. Nothing more beyond the borders. Mm-hmm. And 
whatever you take from that is your own lessons that you learned. Yeah. So, uh, do you want to do a related reading? Let's do it. Uh, let me start. Um, so, do you remember the episode that we did of uh, Dark They Were? Yes. I want to recommend that one if we're talking about the idea of uh, loss of innocence. I think that's a real good one. If you haven't gone back and listened to that one yet, high recommend on that one. Yeah, definitely. And it's like, and I love it too because it's like it is like it is a loss of innocence, but I almost want to put that in air quotes because it's like, I mean, it's like yes, I'm no longer a child because I know more, but it's like it is that expansive understanding. It's like stepping out of childhood. Right, stepping out of childhood is just the first step to knowing, and even then, you're not going to have the complete picture. It's going to take a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. So, Dark They Were, you want to check out, I don't remember which episode that was. Um, that was episode one. Excellent. Our first episode. Okay, Go well, back and check out our first episode, you Please, guys. and then every other one, too, until you get back up to this one. Rate us on iTunes. Yeah. Write like, a review. Yes. Uh, SoundCloud, whatever you want to do. Um, we accept cash? I mean, I do. <laughs> I don't report it, but I accept it. Stuff it in an envelope. Yeah. Meet on 34th Street. Make sure not to bring anybody with you. I swear to God, if you're not wearing a bowler hat, I will not <laughs> accept the money. Yeah, and you have to say mirror zone, and we'll know that you're not in on it. <laughs> um, I do want to do one more recommendation for this along similar lines, which was Pete's Dragon. Uh, the Disney film. Nice. I, I haven't seen the new one. I don't know if you have. I have not. Um, I was a big fan of the old one, though. I'm a big fan of the old one. I used also. to heat apples in the microwave because I was such a big fan of the old one. Aw. Heat them in the uh, microwave, pretend I had a dragon roasted for me. I love that. And now <laughs> I'm going to have to go rewatch Peace Dragon myself. <laughs> it's just... That's one of those movies where we were talking about before, like, nobody initially believes the kid that there's a real dragon and it's not imaginary, but this dragon starts to get seen by other people as belief takes hold. And um, there's some great musical numbers in it that I think are pretty classic. Uh, There's a good portion of it that has the kid having a loss of innocence arc that's very similar to some of the ones we've discussed. Um, Yeah, I think that's a high recommend for me. And uh, I've probably also watched it three or four hundred times, so I mean, don't let me sound biased at all right oh it's a great flick i always love those the live action cartoon crossovers from early disney yeah i mean you know aside from this story if you want to go watch like bed knobs and broomsticks and any uh, other the really great live action mixed animation disney musicals yeah no it was it, worth it, a watch it's completely and this is a recommendation that i'm doing that's completely out of character because it's not for the story but just go watch bed knobs and broomsticks it's about a witch who fights nazis it's about a witch who fights nazis with fucking magic like yeah, and Magic Knights of Armor. It's so good. It's really good, and it does actually have some overlaps with this story as well. There's a good portion of that as well that's about kids growing up and learning mm-hmm. to accept reality and what's normal versus magic. Yeah. And it also has a lot of overlaps with Mary Poppins as well. A lot of these have similar ideas about childhood innocence. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say fuck childhood because you should you know to look. If you want to look at a story that has some similar elements to this, but if you want to focus on sort of the the darker, more horrifying side of that, I would recommend uh, From Beyond by H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, I recommend on that one for me too, yeah. definitely. And even actually, even the the Stuart Gordon movie is really good. Also, it's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another movie that was uh, directed by the same director as 
uh, so that is Stuart Gordon, and yeah. it's also got uh, Jeffrey Combs. Robert West himself. Yeah, and uh, was it was her name Barbara? Um, the the woman who played. Uh, I'm not gonna get that last name. Not off the top of my head. I'm not either. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to edit this later. Yeah, we can totally put that in the notes or whatnot. But but, but anyways, uh, no. So from Beyond is like it's a very similar deal where like there's there are these two, these two guys, mad the mad scientist invites his friend over, and he's like, I want to show you this machine that will show you crazy colors and it'll stimulate a thing in your head. But when he turns it on, like he sees just this like crazy alien world and these things that are floating around him that look really menacing and horrifying and the, the plot twist they're they're actually there they've been there this whole time because they're just they're just in another dimension but these dimensions like overlap on one another right and the only way people have been able to see it is through their pineal gland mm-hmm. what the nice twist about this is usually when you bring up the pineal gland and opening the third eye in I don't know, not even science fiction, but just in literature mm-hmm. in general. You're talking about a positive, transcendent experience. You're mm-hmm. seeing angels or, you know, aliens or something like that that are, mm-hmm. you know, maybe if not necessarily beneficial, but they're not out to get you. And the truth in From Beyond is far more horrifying. Yeah. They've been here the whole time, and you're going to turn into one of them now that you've seen them. Exactly. It's so it's so good. But anyways, yeah. I'm going to recommend that. Um I would also recommend. Uh, I would also like to recommend another Ray Bradbury to uh, to to play us out. Um, a Sound of Thunder, which is uh, a really good story about time travelers going back to uh, observe dinosaurs. Yeah, it it definitely bookends this story real well. Um, there's a lot of things about you know the butterfly effect and. In fact, isn't that the first story that has the butterfly? That's effect? the butterfly effect story. Yeah. And I, I don't know that I could necessarily recommend the movie. It's a little schlocky, mm-hmm. even though it's fairly recent. But um, you do definitely have the wonder of, you think life is normal, there's nothing interesting left to see? Well, how about you go check out some dinosaurs? But also, by observing, you're doing more than observing, you're changing things. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. Like, and any time you can bring the Heisenberg uncertainty principle into science fiction. I just love I just love it when they bring like science into science fiction. It's not always super scientific, but it is fun. I'd rather you closer to Jurassic Park style aesthetic if you can. You know what I mean? Like, there's always room for more footnotes, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's that would probably be the last recommend, but we're not even going to recommend because you've already seen it. Jurassic Park. We talked about it a lot too. Yeah, and it's like it it, it seems like it's it really is just like with the nostalgia and with like. Um, and with just sort of the the awe that comes with seeing the dinosaurs, that's probably the only aspects that Jurassic Park shares with this story. Right, and and if we're going to be really honest, this is just my opinion, but I think that the movie is more imbued with sort of the Steven Spielberg moment of awe. He injects a lot of those into the scene composition, and like, you know, sure, the book has that, but I think Michael Crichton gives a little bit... If we're talking about the balance of, like, awesome clinical science and pure mm-hmm. wonder. I think he hews more on the side of science. Yeah. And the movie does a little bit more of that Spielberg magic. No, it totally does, because it's like, I remember from the book, and it's like, it's honestly a thing I liked about the book, was just talking about what a bitch it was to make these things, and like how they're like, they're kind of not right, or they're a little sick, because when you bring them into our, like when you clone them, and they, they live in our world 65 million years after when they were supposed to live, 
like the plant life is completely different the oxygen composition and the atmosphere is completely different so these animals are like they're having trouble getting their nutrients like they can't shit right and they have trouble breathing like that's a deal with a lot of them right and i mean it's definitely part of what he was trying to tell with that story was like realistically you tried to bring dinosaurs to today if you're using frogs and all this other kind of stuff they're just not going to be the same things. Yeah. You're going to get that sense of wonder, but it was a bitch to accomplish, and we can't really sustain it for very long. Yeah. So, yeah, that's our recommends. Um, anything else? No, I think we covered it all. And um, I'll tell you what, uh, listening to our podcast, it's, uh, it's way better than watching a show about people singing. I will say that, and oh, just yeah. ignoring all the dinosaurs around you. Oh, for sure. If you, it, yeah, <laughs> if there's anything we can say that, it's tune into our podcast and don't ignore the freaking dinosaurs in your garage. No, you just, like, just give it a name, be nice to it. And don't smell its farts, if you can help it. We actually, did I, did I show you, we just recently brought a dinosaur into our home. Did you? We no. did. No, it's a T-Rex tapestry. This is exciting. I gotta show you, because it's just the fucking best. Let me get my on-screen reaction. Amazing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's... Uh, I can now actually picture this part of the story where the Tyrannosaurus are attacking really well. I cannot wait to start doing YouTube videos in front of it. <laughs> you're like, I know you're paying attention to the dinosaur, but you're gonna try and listen to me if you can. Oh my god, I'm just, I'm gonna name, I'm gonna give her like a super femme name. Like? <laughs> this is LaFonda, my Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> yep, that's the name, you nailed it. It's LaFonda, it's just, that's, that's my girl LaFonda. So, from me, and you, and everyone we know in LaFonda. In LaFonda. A good night and good luck. Have yourselves a good night, folks, and we will see you when uh, next time we'll be talking about the legend of the paper spaceship. It's going to be a real good one from beyond and through the Mirror Zone, so make sure you tune in for that, and uh, also make sure that all of your paper airplanes and spitballs are stowed safely in the overhead compartment. Because you might be going somewhere. You might be going somewhere far through the mirror. Hint, it's space. It is space. <laughs> good night, folks. Take care.